Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. Hi, welcome back. It's good to see you all again and to be seen by you all again. Uh, as we continue our study on foundations, I'll give you a quick recap of the last few weeks. We started out by saying, you know, God has a plan for us, and that plan is to make us in his image. And he's still on that plan. The New Testament tells us we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, if I'm going to get to know what he's making me into, a good way to find that out is by getting to know him. It's imperative that we get to know God because we're being formed in his image. And we don't trust someone we don't know. And the whole relationship we have with God is based on trust. He wants us to have faith and walk with him in a trusting relationship. Now, that's a process of growth and maturity that takes place throughout our Christian life. After we're born again, I think we receive a new nature at the moment of new birth but through a new nurture, we're becoming like the one who's nurturing us, which is our Heavenly Father. So then what do we do with the sin problem? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, sin was here. Now God knew it was going to come. He made provision for that before he ever started the whole thing. He knew that the Lamb would be slain even before the foundation of the world. Uh, and the problem with sin is that it's, it's, it's largely independence. It's deciding to... Um, decide our own reason for living, our own way of, to go about living, to, to make our own definitions of good and evil and so forth. Well, we were never created to be independent of God. In fact, it's not possible to live life as God intends for us, independent of Him, any more than it's possible for a flashlight to shine without a battery. It has to have the connection, and that disconnection from God is what caused our big problem. Uh, which the next period of history after the sin in the Garden of Eden from Adam until Noah proved that because it said the thoughts of men's heart were only evil continually. And that's what happened when man's left to himself. We just can't come up with good stuff any more than a flashlight can shine without a battery. So God introduced the law. That was a couple weeks ago we talked about that. And the law was given, as, if you will, a bright light uh, to reveal the flaws in our thinking. Uh, it, it couldn't save you. The Bible says, by works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But we needed to know. And the interesting thing that I see one place in Scripture, in Exodus, as God was getting ready to give the law, uh, the people were kind of afraid of him uh, because of the situation there in Exodus. And he was, the mountain was smoking and quaking and all that kind of stuff. And they said to Moses, let not God speak to us lest we die. You speak to God. Find out what he wants and tell us, and whatever he says, we will do it. Well, while Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, um, God's writing the first one. You shall have no other gods before me with his finger in the stone. <laughs> the people are down at the bottom of the mountain building a golden calf. Uh, they... they broke the law continually. Uh, God knew they would, but they needed some kind of a measuring stick to look at that would tell them, am I good enough? And attempts have been made even in the, 
Israelite nation over the years to manipulate the law and kind of water it down so it's more manageable, not quite so strict. But again, the law wasn't given to save us. The law was given to show us we needed a Savior. And that, sa that salvation has always been on the basis of, of faith. You know, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. That word reckoned means God took an accounting of him, tallied it up, and we looked at the tally of Abraham's life. Because he had faith, he said he was righteous, righteous by faith. And Paul even talked about it in the New Testament. I gave up all those things I was doing to make myself acceptable before God in order to have the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You find that in Philippians chapter 3. Okay, so trusting God, that faith relationship with him. We walk by faith and not by sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's a lot of scripture about faith. And faith to me is just trust. And again, I don't tend to trust people I don't know, so I need to get to know God. Well, one of the ways he's given to us to get to know him is through the scriptures. And that's what we're going to talk about this week is the scriptures themselves in sort of a broad sense. Um, you know, there's been a lot of argument and debate and opinions about the scripture all down through time. You know, can we trust it? Is it just stories uh, with moral things to teach us? You know, the moral of the story is, you know, a stitch in time saves nine kind of thing. You know, is it, is it is just trying to teach us something that'll help us live better lives? Well, I believe not. I believe the scripture is here primarily to introduce God to us and help us get to know him and show us what we're becoming. Uh, can you trust it? Well, I believe we can. I, you know, we've heard these words over the years. Some of them are pretty hotly debated. Is it inerrant? Is it infallible? Is it the inspired word of God? And I believe it is all of those. But I also believe that it's sufficient. Um, he's giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, it says in one of uh, Peter's writings. And so he's given us everything about living life as God intended. That's what godliness is. He made us in his image, God-likeness. That's what the word godliness comes from. And so everything we need to know about living life as God intended comes through getting to know God. And one of the primary ways we get to know him is through the scriptures. Now, obviously, if you've read the Bible, you'll realize that the Bible is sort of in two parts. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Testament just means like covenant, like the, someone's last will and testament. Okay, so you have the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. And... In the Old Covenant, yes, where the law was given and God was dealing with man externally. Uh, we'll see in the New Covenant later in our discussions that God began to deal with us internally by putting his spirit within us. But if you read the Old Covenant, uh, some people say you don't need to read that anymore. Well, you miss an awful lot if you don't read it. Uh, it's a very important part of the scripture. It was given to us for very specific reasons. Now, a lot of the Old Testament, the old section of the Bible, you know, before Jesus came, um, you'll read stories about people and the lives they lived and the experiences they had. Um, and it just seems like if you read it just little bits at a time, it may seem disjointed. I think it's good to read the old, the whole Bible for that matter, but the old covenant, especially the Old Testament, 
in a relatively short period of time, and you see it more as an epic adventure of mankind. And woven into man's adventure here on earth, if you would call it that, there are things the Bible calls types and shadows, uh, allegories and parables. There are things that happened on earth in the circumstances and places people found themselves, the events they went through, the experiences they had, that give us a picture of something that has a spiritual reality. And I'll give you some examples here right now. You know, what these, all these type shadows, allegories, parables are, it's the use of a situation or a person to illustrate a truth or future fulfillment. It, it's illustrating something for us. Okay, many of the Old Testament people and situations illustrate spiritual realities. So let's look at one here. In Romans 15, 4, it tells us, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Now that was written to the book, in the book of Romans to the Roman people by the Apostle Paul, and the scriptures he was referring to was the Old Testament. They were there to give us encouragement and hope, to teach us something. Now, if we believe God only cares about rule keeping, then we're kind of missing the whole point. You know, even the in the New Testament, Jesus said the whole of the law and the prophets is summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So it, it's, it's really there to teach us something much broader, much bigger, much more godlike because God is love. And so loving him and loving others is being godly. Okay, the people in these illustrations, however, are dealt with as individuals. So just because someone in an illustrative way represents evil or represents good, their relationship to God is still based only on one thing, and that's faith. Did they trust him or not? You know, like Abraham believed God. Now, Abraham did some really weird stuff in his life. <laughs> he lied about Sarah not being his wife. He, you know, he, he decided to fulfill God's promise in his own way, and so he had sexual relations with Sarah's handmaiden Hagar and Ishmael was born and he did things that God didn't tell him to do that weren't necessarily good things to do at, at the time and some of them were just not wrong not good at all they were wrong but he had faith in God so he was saved by his faith not by his works and that's a point that's made really strong in the scripture that we'll discuss quite a bit later on all right so these people illustrate things and um, the, the trick is picking out who do these people illustrate? What do, they, what do they testify to? Well, the New Testament helps us there a lot because it refers back to a lot of those Old Testament people and what their lives represent. Again, the life they live may be very different than the person that they represent. Kind of like being in a play or a movie. You know, the actor may represent a very evil person or a very good person. But in real life, that may not be what they were at all. Uh, there's been some really good people that portray evil people in movies and plays and those kind of things. And there have been some people that weren't too stellar in their, in their character who, when they played parts, they always played the good guy. But in real life, they weren't the good guy. And so it's kind of like that. God used their lives to 
represents something that he wanted us to understand. You've heard the old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I don't know about you, but I, if I visualize something, if I can see it, if I can imagine it, it helps me grasp the concept. I'm, I'm, I kind of learn that way better than any other way. So let me give you some examples. Uh, you know, the flood that came and Noah built an ark. Well, it tells us in Matthew 24, 37 to 39, for as we, for as were the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, it's going to be just like that, he said. For in those days, uh, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. All right, so that, the way society was, the way the world was, the way people were living their lives. And they had plenty of chance to realize something was coming because Noah spent 120 years building the ark. And so life was just going on. People were doing whatever they felt like doing. And like I said, it was only evil continually because it wasn't of faith. You know, whatever does not perceive in faith is sin, the Bible says. And so one day the flood came, just like they'd been told, and it swept them away. And he says, that's going to be like the end of times. People are going to be living their lives. The world's going to be going on about its business. And then one day the Son of Man's going to show up, and that's the end of the deal. Okay, so another picture we have here is Hagar and Sarah. I mentioned them a minute ago and Abraham's uh, need for a child, and he tried to help make one himself. In Galatians uh, 4, it tells us this, Galatians 4, 20 to 20, 21 to 26. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Otherwise, the law can teach us something. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born according or through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to this present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. All right, so God has taken these two women and the children they have, and he's actually illustrating the two covenants. When he says Hagar is Mount Sinai, well, that's where the law was given. And by works, law, uh, by, by works of the flesh, you know, the Bible talks about trying to keep the law to be justified is actually an act of the flesh, and it doesn't work. And so you can try like crazy to be acceptable to God under the old covenant, but you can only be acceptable to God under the new covenant. And he says Hagar and, and Sarah and their children illustrate that concept. That Now, Ishmael, who was born to Hagar, and Isaac, that was born to Abraham and Sarah, they had the opportunity to be men of faith. And so God dealt with them as individuals, but they represented something uh, bigger, something more important to us, which is our relationship to God through faith and the fulfilling of his promises because God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. 
and that he would be the one through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And his name was Isaac. He's another illustration. Uh, here's the child of promise. In Hebrews 11, 18 and 19, it says, It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. All right, so one of the things Abraham was told to do was to sacrifice Isaac. And, you know, he took him up the mountain. He was getting ready to kill him on the altar. And God provided the ram caught in the thicket to replace, uh, if you will, the sacrifice with the, the ram. And that way, the firstborn was spared. You know, and so when Jesus died, the firstborn of all creation, uh, he died for Adam's race, the firstborn, and spared us the sin problem. And so Isaac represents that. Now, Isaac did some weird stuff, too, <laughs> in his life, but he was a man of faith. We read about him. So it wasn't about he illustrated something because of his perfection. God used his life to illustrate something he wanted us to understand. All right, our next illustration is the Passover itself. You know, back in Egypt, uh, when they were slaves, the very last plague that happened against Egypt was the Passover. And what that meant was God was sending a death angel and the firstborn of every household was gonna die unless they had blood on the doorposts of the house from a lamb that was sacrificed. And so the Passover represented something that is fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 24 and through 26 tells us this, being justified as a gift through his, uh, by, excuse me, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, which means payment. In his blood through faith, there is no, there was, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, so what happened to the Israelites was real. God judged the Egyptians. They left, they eventually went through the wilderness and eventually wound up in the promised land. Uh, all of that was real, they were real people. Uh, those were real events, but they illustrated something. And the Passover uh, illustrated the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world and set us free from bondage out of which we had no hope of ever getting out of. Okay, another illustration would be Moses and Joshua. Now, there, this is a great one for me. I, I love this one. You know, Moses, his name means drawn out of water. Uh, one day he did something he shouldn't do in Egypt. He killed this guy and he had to flee and he went to the backside of the desert at 40 years old and he herded sheep for the next 40 years. And at 80 years old, God calls him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he goes back and all the plagues and eventually the Passover we just talked about occurred. And he leads this people out into the wilderness. 
and they do a lot of things. They get the law at Mount Sinai, and they're wandering around, and they get, actually in a relatively short period of time, they get to the promised land, and they refuse to go in because they think they couldn't do it. And so they went wandering another 40 years in the wilderness, and eventually they come back to the promised land, and Moses is not allowed to go in, even though he was God's man on earth, if you want to call it that, but his, his protege was allowed to take the people in. His, his name was Joshua, Yeshua. Okay, so Moses led the people in the wilderness. Joshua took them into the promised land, and he took them through the Jordan River. And when he took them through the Jordan River, it says the waters of the Jordan River were cut off at the city of Adam as it flowed toward the Great Sea, which was the Dead Sea. All right? So let's look at that, how those two people illustrate something. Who was John the Baptist? He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what was he always doing? Well, he was always preaching the law, telling people you shouldn't do that. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. I baptize you with water. But after one, after me comes one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then one day he sees Jesus, Yeshua, walking by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus comes to him and says, I need to be baptized in the Jordan by you. And he said, oh, no, you need to baptize me. He said, no, go ahead and permit it now. We need to fulfill all righteousness. We need to do what God wants us to do. So John baptizes Jesus. The Spirit descends as a dove and lights on him, signifying that the new covenant is getting ready to begin. It's now Emmanuel, like it says in, in the book of Isaiah, God with us. He came and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Okay, so just as Moses came, but he couldn't get the people in, Joshua could. Uh, John came. He said, I can't save anybody. I'm just baptizing with water. But someone else is coming who can actually save you. Okay, what did Moses have? He had the law, and he only broke it one time that we know of. When he struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. And God said, because you had one infraction, you don't get to go into the promised land because the law can never get you in. He even says if you break the law at one point, you're guilty of all of it. So now was he saved? Yes, because he was a man of faith. But what does he illustrate? He illustrates that the law cannot get you in. You need a savior to get you in, which is what the name Jesus means. It means savior. And so... Just like Moses couldn't take them in, but Joshua could. John couldn't save people, even though he preached the word of God and the law and all that. But Jesus came along and he can take people in. Into what? Into God's rest. That place where we, where we live in faith in him. John 1, 23 to 26 says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they have been sent they had been sent from the Pharisees. These people were asking Jesus or John something. And they asked him, uh, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And John answered saying, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. And the next day, John 1, 29, the next day Jesus said, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on the half of whom I told you after me comes a man who has higher rank than I because he existed before me. That was a great picture 
God has not been hiding his plan. He's been displaying it in plain view all through the Old Testament in the people's lives that were there. He's been showing us what he is like and what he desires, which is faith in us, in him from us. Reading the Old Testament adds rich, colorful dimensions to our understanding. It helps us visualize New Testament truth, New Covenant truth. But the picture is only the picture. And think of it. Christ is much better than the picture of Joshua taking in the promised land. He actually takes us into the very presence of God. And a picture is so much better, um, the real thing is so much better than the picture. Just like if you, go to, if you saw a picture of a beach, that'd be cool. But if you actually get to go to the beach and let, kick your feet in the sand and swim in the water, that's much better. And so the, the pictures God has given us give us a richness in understanding of what Jesus fulfilled and what he wants us to live by, by faith in that reality in our life today. Well, thank you. We'll talk some more about the scripture next week. And God bless you. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you that you have given us the scriptures, that we can trust them, but we also need your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to help us understand what you're showing us, what you're illustrating, what you, help, what you want us to understand about who you are and who we're becoming in Christ through new birth and through growing to maturity. Thank you for Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of all good, all that you intend for us. And it's in him that we find our identity and our fulfillment. We pray in his name. Amen.